If you would turn to uh, Luke chapter 24, we're not going to actually be in Luke very much, but uh, we're going to start there. Uh, Luke 24, uh, verses 13, we'll start with verse 13, uh, on the road to Emmaus, and and uh, I'll start reading there on in verse 13, the very day, two, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, and about, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they, they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels and uh, who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he, and he said to them, as Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the sayings concerning himself. And uh, you think about that, and, and I don't plan on staying in Luke. We're going to go back to, uh, um, to uh, Genesis. But uh, it, it's, a, it's a stunning thing, and others have said this. We have two men who have seen all these things happen, They've heard the words of Jesus, no doubt. Many of those things, at least, maybe followed him for some time. And, uh, and then they're talking. Of course, they're obviously discouraged, depressed, because the one that they had hoped um, was a Savior was crucified. Now he's dead. And, uh, and they don't know what's going on. And so Jesus' words to them was, it's all foolish um, ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Hey, you think about that. Um, why didn't Jesus say, oh, foolish ones, and slow it off, hard to believe? Why didn't you believe all the words Jesus said? Why didn't you listen to him? Why didn't you hear what he said, see the works, the mighty works that he did? Why didn't you see those things? But instead he said, why didn't you, you're slow of heart to believe all the words that Moses and the prophets have said. Um, and, then, and then you think about this too, and, and, and many others have said this. It's, it's, it's fascinating to think about. Uh, here's, Two men walking down the road, they've seen all these things, they're discouraged, they don't understand what's going on, and, uh, and in, along comes Jesus, uh, the, the Son of God, the creator of the entire earth and all that is, all that exists, he spoke into existence. He designed all things with, with incredible wisdom, and, and they're speaking to the Son of God, and they tell him, are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on? 
Um, what, a, what a stunning thing to say. And in fact, he's the only one who does know what's going on. He's the only one who understands it completely. And, uh, and so to direct them to, to understand what's going on, he directs them not to the words that he said, which would, would, would have been true. The words he said, of course, were all truth. But he directs them to the books that they had, to the things that they had, that they always had. And that's the words of Moses and the prophets. Read that. Are you, you foolish and, and slow of heart to believe? Those are the things you should have believed. And as I, my intention, uh, really, uh, when I uh, heard I was going to preach, I wanted to talk about, uh, about something from the Old Testament because we, uh, in, in the Christian world, we tend to, to look at the Old Testament as, as something that's, that's interesting. You know, there, there's a lot of interesting stories there, maybe even some inspire, inspiring stories there. Some fascinating stuff to read about fire coming down from heaven and, you know, great plagues and, and various things that God did one time. And, uh, and then, you know, but really the, the, the thing we need to focus on is the New Testament, where, where it's more applicable to us and what's going on now. And, and, uh, and so... I know it's growing up in, in Sunday school, uh, we, uh, we heard all, all of the stories, um, you know, the, David and, and, and Daniel and the lion's den and, and all the, variety, the various stories that are there in there. And, and when they're taught to us, we, we heard those things like stories, uh, like, like events that happened. Isn't that interesting what God did at one time and in the way that, that he acted at one time? And uh, see if I can make this work. There we go. Um, and what I what I wanted to get across, what I wanted to, to strive to do, is to to understand that the Old Testament is not just a book of stories. It's not just a book of 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 how God once acted at one time. He's the same yesterday and today and forever, according to Hebrews. And and how can you how can we say that uh, when He used to rain fire down from heaven? And, and turn Nile and the Nile into blood, and, and shake the mountains with his voice, and command angels to uh, defeat a mighty host of enemies. How can you say that that uh, when clearly say that that he's the same uh, yesterday and today when he did those mighty works yesterday? How can we say that when he clearly does not do those things today, uh, or or does he? And uh, the problem is not how God works, but how we understand his works. Um, do we read the Old Testament as a book of interesting stories of times long past? Uh, is it a book of laws full of harsh judgments and living from an ancient culture of cruelty? Many times very cruel. How do we understand the books full of bizarre and, and, and powerful stories and the disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't understand it clearly, um, and they they were looking for a ruler. They understood portions of it. They understood parts of it. Um, and Jesus said, "Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe." Why is it that they understood some things and not other things? Um, think about that. What causes men to do that? To think that way? Um, it it I tell you, it goes back to the garden. Um, why they think that way, and why they, and why those men did not really understand uh, what what Moses and the prophets uh, were telling them. And so, how do we understand it? Um, it's it's much more than a history book. 
We have to look at it that way. It's far more than a history book. Although inspiring at times, it's much more than that. We have to look at it as much more than just a, a book of some inspiring stories, how to be a Daniel, dare to be a Daniel kind of thing. And uh, Is it only about ancient times and ancient cultures, or is it more than that? Uh, the way to know it is to read it as if it is speaking to you now uh, about your life, your times, and your ways, because it is. Uh, stop reading stories as they are a collection of odd or amazing events that happened in ancient times and start reading them as if they all fit into an overall theme, because they do. Um, I wanted to, initially, I intended to preach about, uh, obviously it was going to be an Old Testament um, event, I wanted to preach about that and, and show how, how God used these things, and I intended to really preach about uh, about Moses and and uh, the how God freed them from the Egyptians and and used the, the miraculous plagues and, and things that He did to show His superiority and power over them. How um, how God uh, heard their cry um, and uh, and how He saw their affliction and remembered His covenant covenant with them. That's what I wanted to preach about. And then as I got to thinking about it, I realized that that uh, I haven't gone far enough back. And uh, you go back a little bit further. And so I wanted to, to go back to uh, Genesis uh, chapter 37. And, and we'll talk about Joseph and Joseph's dreams and, and what happened to him. And so as we go back there, um, you, and you know the story. I, I, I won't go over it in, in great detail, but you understand the story. We have Jacob now. And uh, and they're in the land of Canaan, in the promised land. They're living there, and and Jacob has um, he he has eleven sons with him now, and and uh, um, and Jacob has uh, has taken two wives. We know that he took Rachel, and and Rachel was was his chosen one. Rachel was his the one he wanted, and uh, he saw her and, and said, "That's the one for me," and and he and he desired her. Um, but yet, what did he get? Well, he woke up in bed and he found Leah as his side. Leah's not the one he wanted. She was the unwanted one. Um, but she was the one that God chose. She was God's choice, not Jacob's choice. And, uh, and so he found himself next to Leah instead of, instead of Rachel, his chosen one. And, and so we know that that uh, he worked again and you know for his father-in-law another seven years and and finally he got Rachel to be his wife too and then so there was contention uh, between the two of them and and God blessed Leah uh, with a birth of, of sons and and she had sons and and included in those were uh, were Judah and uh, I think he was the fourth in line and and uh, um, and, and God had blessed her and um, and then through their uh, servants, there was other sons born, and then eventually uh, God blessed Rachel too, and she gave birth to Joseph. And so we have Joseph now, the, the only son of uh, Rachel, the one that Jacob loved, and, uh, and, um, and then we have other sons uh, to Leah and, and their servants who are there too. So now there's contention in this family. There's some jealousies going on, and, and so we have this Joseph, who's the youngest now, and, uh, and, and very clearly the favored of Jacob. He's the one that Jacob loved the most, and, and, and the, the others are out 
tending to their to their livestock and, and doing their work. And, and as a part of that, Joseph is being used apparently by Jacob to, to check on them and see how they're doing and make a report of, of how the brothers are doing. And, uh, and Joseph gives a bad report of the brothers at one time, and that doesn't go over well. So now there's even more contention and jealousy and hard feelings going on. And then, of course, uh, Jacob favors Joseph so much that he even makes him his his special coat of many colors and, and gives him this thing. And, and, uh, and that doesn't exactly help the, the harsh feelings in the family either. And, uh, and so then uh, uh, Joseph has his dreams, his two dreams. And, and, uh, um, and the first, he, he, uh, he tells his, his uh, family about his dreams and understand that the dreams are important. In this days, we we have dreams too, and, and sometimes if you're like if your dreams are like mine, they're just weird, you know. They're they're goofy, and and they don't make any sense, and and uh, um, you know they, they there's nothing from them other than it's just a dream, and it's nothing more than that. And uh, but in those days, dreams often meant things, especially when they seem to have some real significance to them. Uh, they meant things, and so we have Joseph telling them about his dream. He had a dream, and he said, Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, he heard behold a lot, because this is important. He says, Behold, because this is really significant. This is not some silly dream that makes no sense that I had. This is a this is a significant dream that I had. You need to listen to this. Behold, he says, My sheaf, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and, and bowed down to my sheaf. Um, in the day, we you know we might look at that today and, and think <laughs> it's a goofy dream, you know. But in that day, that meant something, and uh, and they knew exactly what it meant. Are you telling us that we're going to bow down to you, Joseph? And that didn't go over well, and uh, and uh, and so you know that's what they said. And indeed, his brother said to him, "Are you in, are you indeed to to reign over us?" Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more in his dreams and, and for his words. And he dreamed again. And he said, and he dreamed another dream. And, and behold, um, and, and told his brothers, and he said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and moon and, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. 11 stars, that, what he's referring to is his 10 brothers and his father all bowing down to him. <laughs> that didn't go over well either. Uh, his, his brothers even hated him more then, but although Jacob uh, told him to be quiet about these things, remembered, uh, and he thought about that. I don't think he understood it. I'm sure he didn't, but he thought about it. And, uh, and so uh, we go to that. And you know the, how the story goes. Uh, one day, uh, Jacob sends Joseph again out, go check on the boys and see where they're at and make, give me a report of what they're up to. And, and so they were out herding their cattle and, and uh, doing what they do. It says in there that they move from one area to another. I thought about that. And I thought, why did he do that? Was it to find better grass? I kind of doubt it. I kind of think that they knew that Papa was going to send Joseph out to check on them again. And I think they were making life difficult for him. And... Uh, and they would have to search him them out and find him. I think they're just being difficult. Uh, it's that passive aggression that, that people so often do. 
And, uh, and so Joseph went out there and he searched and he couldn't find him until finally they told him, I think they're over there. And, uh, and so he went and he found him. And of course, when they saw him far off, as you know, they, they, they say, say, here comes this dreamer again. And, uh, what do, let's, let's get rid of him. And, and even in the time that it took for them to see him walking, uh, they could determine that quickly. We need to get rid of him. Let's kill him. And, uh, that's pretty evil. Uh, these are his brothers, his family, determining that so quickly. That's how much they hated him. And so so Joseph comes up to them, and, and you have Reuben. And Reuben seems like he's maybe a bit of, a, of a, a big help here. He says, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into a pit. Um, don't, think, don't give Reuben too many points here, because Reuben didn't stand up and say, stop, we're not going to do this, this is wrong. No, he said, let's throw him into a pit. You know, and then of course his intention was to to let him go later on. Now, that's not that's not boldness there. That's not that's not somebody show, standing up for what's right there. That's someone who's pretty much cowardly, who should have been the leader of that group, uh, who didn't want to do what he knew he should have been doing. And so, anyways, uh, Joseph uh, comes to the group. They grab him. They uh, they tear off his coat, of course, because that's that symbol that they despise of him. Uh, because Daddy favored him over them, and and clearly uh, gave him better things than the than he gave to them, and so he they took that coat off. They did throw him into a pit, and uh, and then we see that then Judah comes on uh, to the scene too. Of course, he's part of it. And and then Judah in verse twenty six it says, then Judah said to his brothers, "What profit is it that if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not." Our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. Well, don't give him much credit either, because Judah Judah wasn't trying to save his life, uh, Joseph's life. Judah saw profit in there. It's really, what he's saying is, what profit is to kill him? You know, let's sell him, and at least we'll get some money for him, and we're still going to get rid of him because we'll sell him as a slave. We'll never see him again. He'd be gone, and and of course they did that, and and as you know. Uh, how the story went. They took his robe, they tore it up, they, they put blood on it, and then showed it to Daddy and said, Ah, oh, I'm sorry. Must have, been a, must have been a vicious animal that got him. And, uh, and tore him up, and now he's gone. And so, uh, so now Joseph is, is sold uh, into these traders, and of course we know that they'll take him down to, uh, to Egypt, and they'll sell him there as a slave. And then we get to... Uh, to chapter 28, um, where things change a little bit, and, and we see this, this, we see this chapter that doesn't seem to fit in. It's it's weird because we're talking about Joseph. Joseph's been taken as a, as a slave. Now he's sold into Egypt, but now all of a sudden we 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 shift scenes, and now we're talking about Judah and his kids and what he did with his. With his uh, daughter, with, with his daughters, uh, or with his sons and his daughter-in-law, get that right. And uh, and at first glance, when you first look at it, you say, well, "Why is this story in there like that? Why suddenly do we shift to to Judah in here when we're talking about Joseph? Isn't he the 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 person of this story? Isn't he the one that we're focusing on?" Uh, and yet we're going to we're going to talk now about Judah and what he did, and uh, and I 
I realize I'm talking to a crowd who reads the Bible, and you've read this story several times, I'll bet. And, uh, and so when you read chapter 38, we see this, this story of, of Judah, and, uh, and, and Judah has taken himself a wife. And, uh, and, and it says that, that he went into her, and, and, and she produced eventually to him three children. And, uh, um, and, and when, the, and when the, the oldest was old enough for, for a wife, he went and found her a wife. And the wife that he found was Tamar. And, uh, and so he gives Tamar to, to his firstborn heir, Ur, I guess. Uh, and, uh, and he's a wicked man, according to, to chapter 38. He's a wicked man. God kills him. God takes his life. And you say, well, did God kill him? Yes, God killed him. Uh, he may have died of some disease. I don't know what he died of, but he died. And, and it, in God's word said he died because he's an evil man. And God took his life. And so now we have uh, Tamar, who's a widow of Ur, and, and uh, in, the, in the culture of the day, and, and what they did in the time was, well, they would then, uh, they, it would be the next son's duty to, uh, to produce children through her for, for his brother. And uh, so then that would be Onan's job. That was, he was the next in line. And so he gives, uh, 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 Judah gives uh, Tamar to Onan, who then is supposed to produce children for her. And, in, you know, in, in our world today, that sounds really bizarre, you know. But, but understand that at the time, that was her security. That was, that was the way that she was to live and to have someone to take care of her and, uh, in, in her old age. And, and so to her, that was a very much a needed thing. That was that was very important thing for her, and so. But Onan's also an evil man, and uh, he doesn't want to produce children through her because they're not going to be his. They're not going to be his. He doesn't care. And so, uh, what does God do? He kills Onan too. So now, now Judah has lost two of his sons, and he has one left. He's a little too young right now uh, to to take a wife. So he. So he he tells Tamar, "Look, you just you just I'll take care of you. You, you can uh, you can live in in my house, and and we'll we'll I'll take care of you until my my youngest is old enough for you, and and I'll give you to him." Well, she waited, and uh, and the youngest became old enough, and it became clear to her that that uh, uh, Judah had no intention of doing that. Why do you suppose Judah had no intention of doing that? Well, because two of his sons have already died. And uh, he looks upon her as the black widow, and, and, and I don't want my third one to die. If I give, I give you to him, he'll die too. What is Judas, uh, Judas saying by this? What, what is his thinking by this? But God has nothing to do with this. God has nothing to do with this. This is, this is, this is some bizarre thing that I don't understand, but God's not involved in this, and I don't want you to, I don't want you to be the, the wife of my third son because uh, you're going to kill him too. And this is about you, Tamar, not about God. And uh, and then so he doesn't do that. And he and uh, and Tamar eventually realizes that this is not going to happen. And of course, we see the story of. And what did she do? Well, she she found out where Jacob is going to be. And well, and I should say in there too that that uh, before this happened, uh, uh, Judah's wife died. And, uh, and that point out an interesting thing here. Where's where's the name of Judah's wife? Not in there. We're not given her name, not at all. 
All we know is that, that uh, Judah took her, he went into her, and she produced three children for him. And, uh, and that's all we know about her. And then she died. And, uh, and then Judah goes off, and, and Tamar finds out where he's going, and she goes ahead of him and, and, and uh, uh, puts on a face covering as if she's a, uh, 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 a prostitute. And, and, uh, and then uh, Judah says how much, and, and, uh, she, and they agree upon a price of a, of a goat. And, and uh, Judah says, well, I'll send it. And she says, oh, no, you won't. You give me some, something to, to make sure you do. And, and uh, of course, that was her plan, and she wasn't looking for a goat. Uh, and uh, she was looking for an inheritance. She was looking for, for children and, and uh, her rights. And, uh, and so uh, uh, Judah gives her his staff and sash and his, and his signet ring, and, and that's proof, positive, who it is then. And she takes that. And as we know, as we, we go along the, uh, in, the chapter, in the verse 24, it says, but about three months later, Judah was, was told Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral, and uh, moreover she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, "Bring her out and let her be burned." <laughs> Isn't that something? What a judgmental attitude! Bring her out and let her be burned. I wonder what the penalty would be for uh, kidnapping and murder, um, which uh, which Judah was complicit in and took part in. I wonder what the penalty would have been for that. Um, or lying, or the, the or the the wicked sins that Judah's already committed, and yet when he finds out that his daughter-in-law has committed immorality, burn her. Um, that's his judgment upon her. Um, and then, of course, he finds out later uh, through her that uh, you know when she shows him the 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 ring and the sash and the staff, and he has to admit, oh, <laughs> uh, I'm the one. I'm the one who did that. And you see a, a little bit of a glimmer. Uh, of some, some maybe repentance in Judah, then Judah identified those things and, and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Shelah, and he did not know her again. Um, so there might be some glimmer of, uh, of repentance on, on Judah's part there. Not a lot, but might be something there. And then we know that uh, Tamar is, is pregnant with twins, and we see this this interesting story of how the uh, one child sticks his hand out first, and the and the person that was there to help her give birth tied a, a cord around his wrist. I don't know if she's ready to do that, but she did, and she tied a cord around his wrist. And he pulled it back, and and the other one then was born first. Well, of course, in that in that day and that culture, the firstborn is extremely important. That's the one who's going to get the favor. That's the one who's going to get the inheritance. And, uh, and so that's really important. But, uh, but the second born, Perez, is, is the one who comes out. Uh, and, and he's the one. Now think about this. There, there's, there's some interesting things here. Who's Judah? Well, you, I'm sure you know uh, Christ will come from his line. And it'll come from Perez. Uh, it'll follow through him. That's God's choice. So we have this interesting story here, right in the middle. Now, now I want to focus on this just for a moment. There's, there's so many things here that point to it, but we don't, I don't want to take a lot of time trying to describe them all. When you read chapter chapter 38, you read that story about Judah and what what happened there, and and if you're like me, and I, you read that and you think, wow, that's awful. I mean, it's just really awful. Uh, 
um, what happened there. Uh, this this whole story is 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 uh, it, it it's you look at Judah and what kind of a person would you say that Judah was at the time? Well, I'd say he's a just a mean, nasty person. <laughs> he's just he's just no good. And uh, and Judah does not value his his fellow humans clearly um, for what they are. Even if they are a member of his own family, he doesn't value them. He values them for what he can get from them or through them. That's the kind of person that Judah is. Clearly, that's the kind of person that Judah is. He values people for what I can get from them, what you can do for me. That's the kind of person that Judah is. Um, and, and then the, you have to ask, well, who's, who's playing the, reading, the leading role in this chapter? You know, um, is it Judah? Is it Tamar? Who's, play, who's playing the leading role in this particular chapter here? Um, think about that. Uh, Judah, who seems to be the main character, does not really know the reality. He doesn't know who is responsible for his son's death. He thinks he think it's Tamar. Something wrong with her. And uh, um, so he acts, but in reality it's God who is the final actor and who pulls the strings. Judah apparently thinks that his daughter-in-law is, uh, some, is somehow responsible for the death of his two sons. Uh, therefore, he decides not to give her to his youngest and last one. And uh, but we know who really is in charge. God is the real actor in the story. God is the one who's pulling the strings. God is the one who is making things happen. So when we read the story. We we now have we have Joseph who's been sold by the brothers into slavery. That he's he's been taken to Egypt. We have Judah now who's portrayed here as just a just a rotten person, just a, just a crummy person, and uh, evil, uncaring. Um, the reason you don't know his wife's name is because it's intentional. It's not given to portray exactly who Judah really is. He didn't care. She's a woman. Give me some, give me some, some sons. That's all I want from you. Uh, produce those things for me. And, uh, and that's the kind of a person that Judah is. He'd care about her. You don't see the mourning over her that, that uh, Jacob showed. Uh, you don't see the mourning over his two sons that he lost that Jacob showed over the, over the one son that he thought he lost. You don't see that at all. You see a totally different person involved in this story. So uh, think about this as we move along. Why is this in here? Why is Judah portrayed like this? Why are we even talking about him in the midst of this other story that seems to be going on. Does it fit? I think you'll see that it fits perfectly why it's there. Um, I, the scholars have argued over it. Why is it there? I, and, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe they didn't have anywhere else to put it. No, I think it's there because it's a perfect place to put it. it. There's a theme here that's going on, and you need to see that. So now we get into to chapter 29, and we're back to, to Joseph now. And, and so Joseph is, is in uh, Egypt. And he was brought down to Egypt, and, he, and uh, Potiphar uh, comes along, and he buys him. And he says, yeah, I'll buy that one. Hey, he's a good-looking specimen, good price. I'll buy Joseph as my slave. And, uh, and, but it says in here, and it says, it'll say that over and over and over again. It'll say, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. Don't, don't lose that. The Lord was with Joseph. Uh, Joseph, I'm sure, was a smart guy. We're told in here that, that physically he was very fit. 
because um, because uh, Potiphar's wife wanted them, and uh, and we so we see that in there. But but do not miss this. God didn't bless Joseph because Joseph was was so good, he was so talented and so sharp. I mean, he had it together. No. God was the one. God was the power behind Joseph. God was the one who was blessing him. It wasn't Joseph's remarkable abilities, his remarkable intellect that did this. This was God at work here. And I'll say that over and over again. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Uh, The blessing of the Lord was on all he had in the house and field. If you wanted a blessing, you just had to be near Joseph because Joseph, because the Lord was blessing Joseph. This was coming down from him. And all that he had, all that he touched was being blessed because the Lord was doing this work for him. And so, uh, uh, as we know that uh, as uh, uh, the story goes on, Joseph is now working in, in uh, uh, Potiphar's house and Potiphar trusts him so much, he says, you just run things. You're doing great. Uh, you got it all, and, and run it. And so he was running it. And, uh, and he ran the house for years until, until Potiphar's wife uh, saw him and decided, no, nah, I'm going I'm to commit immorality with him. I don't want him. And, uh, and so Joseph then, of course, refuses her. And uh, it's interesting what he says. Uh, he says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Not only does he say this is this is this would be a terrible thing to do against uh, against Potiphar, who has entrusted me with everything, but his real concern, the real thing here, is how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph recognized this, and uh, he had not forgotten the covenant that God had made with his people, even though he's now in the, in, the, in Egypt. Um, but he says this, and of course, as we know, as the story goes along. Uh, I, Potiphar's wife keeps at him, and, and Joseph continually refuses her and will not commit immorality with her, and she won't let it up until one day he goes in there and he's alone now. There's no other servants around, there's no witnesses. It's just him and, and Potiphar's wife, and, and of course she grabs him and, and uh, he takes off running, and she's got his, his clothes, or some of his clothes in, in her hand, and, and, uh, and so she's going she's gonna to cry rape, and, and she does, and and, uh, and she tells that to the servants, and she tells that to her husband, and, and of course he's enraged about this, and, and, he, uh, and he throws Joseph in prison. Okay, if God was at work in Joseph's life, and uh, he hasn't forgotten Joseph, far from it, um, so we had this thing happen, this terrible thing happen, now Joseph's accused of a, of a really wicked thing, and uh, now he finds himself in, in a really harsh prison. And, uh, and is God involved in this? Well, of course he is. Uh, God is involved in this thing. And so Joseph goes to prison. And uh, um, he, uh, he languishes there for a time. Um, and Joseph, uh, and in God, uh, even blesses Joseph while he's in, in prison. And Joseph's master, it says in, in verse 20 of Chapter 39, and Joseph's master uh, took him and put him into the prison and, and the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners 
who were in, in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The Lord did this. Who's, who's the main character in this story? Who's been the main character in this story? The Lord is the main character in this story. The Lord did it. And uh, and Joseph was in prison, and sometimes we, we read through these things, and it seems like, well, he was there for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, maybe something like He's there for some time. He's in prison, and uh, this is a harsh place to be. Even if you're a favored one there, it's a harsh place to be. And he's in prison, and it says sometime after this, uh, the cupbearer and the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed some offense, and and uh, who knows what they did, and uh, and they were also thrown into prison. Now, I, I, uh, Pastor uh, talked briefly about Joseph uh, last Sunday night. I think he mentioned him, and and he he mentioned that uh, that the uh, uh, Potiphar probably didn't really believe that Joseph committed the sins that he was. He was charged with, and I and I, I definitely would agree with him in that because because he didn't have him killed, and uh, you know if uh, if you're that a man of that kind of power, and somebody did that to your wife, um, and you know you had the power in that day, you'd you'd he wouldn't be in prison, uh, it, it'd be hung up somewhere, you know it, but but he didn't do that, so I suspect that's true that that Potiphar really didn't believe this story, but it doesn't really matter, he's in prison. And uh, and so uh, now we find that the cupbearer and the baker are also in prison. They've committed some offense against Pharaoh. He's up. They've upset Pharaoh in some way or another, and uh, and he's thrown them into prison. And so uh, Joseph, it, the, uh, the uh, they both have a dream, and uh, separately, of course, and and. Uh, um, and, they, and Joseph finds out about that. They're talking about this dream that they had. They're sad, and I don't know what it is. Dreams mean something. Uh, specific dreams like this, they're telling something. They're saying something to them, and they believe this. They understand that. They want to know what it is. I had this, this strange dream, and now I want to know what it means. Tell me about it. Well, they don't know, um, but, but Joseph hears about that. What does Joseph say? And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretation, interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. See, Joseph didn't say, I can tell you what the dreams mean. Uh, Joseph said, interpretations belong to God. God knows what they mean. If you want to know what they mean, you have to find out from God. And, uh, and so Joseph says, Joseph gives credit to God, and, and so, of course, the cupbearer tells him what his dream is. And the cupbearer says, well, I, what happened was I, I dreamed that there were three grapevine branches, and, and there were grapes on them, and I plucked the grapes, I squeezed them into a cup, and I gave them to, to Pharaoh. And, uh, and, of course, the baker's listening to this, too, and, uh, and so uh, um, Joseph tells him that uh, the... the interpretation of that dream and what God is, is telling you is that in three days Joseph, Pharaoh is going to lift you up and he says lift your head out of this place lift, lift you up out of this place and he's going to restore you uh, to the king to the service of the king and you're going to once again be be the cupbearer for the king and uh, well that's a good interpretation I like that it's good news 
And so the, uh, the baker, hearing this good news, says, well, then, if that's good news, tell me the interpretation of my dream. And, of course, his dream is somewhat similar. In his dream, he has three baskets on his head, again, three. And, uh, and, there's, and those baskets are filled full of baked goods, and the birds are coming along, and they're feeding on them, and, and, uh, and that's his dream. And, and so now the baker's expecting to hear a good interpretation of that, too, but he doesn't get a good interpretation of it, you know. Uh, what he says is that uh, in three days, Pharaoh's going to lift your head up, all right, and he's going to take it off. And he's going to impale your body, and the birds are going to be pecking at your flesh. Uh, in three days, that's going to happen. Um, so, uh, as it turns out, of course, that's exactly what did happen. And uh, in three days, Pharaoh uh, took the cupbearer out of prison and restored him to his position. And, uh, and he took the, the baker out and, and took his head off and impaled him on a stake. Uh, and, uh, and the birds pecked at him. And, um, but before they, they, the cupbearer left, uh, Joseph told him, don't, don't forget me. Please, don't forget me. And, uh, and so, of course, you would think that, uh, that something like that happened. You wouldn't forget him, but, uh, but he did. And, uh, and, the, and the cupbearer went about his business uh, serving the, the king and, and forgot about him. And in fact, the, in, in chapter 41, we see in verse 1, it says, after two whole years, uh, that's the, the, the cupbearer forgot about Joseph all this time. Never gave him any help. Never, never did anything for him. So, to, so Joseph languishes in this prison for two more years. And, uh, but after two whole years, it says Pharaoh dreamed. And he has a couple of dreams. Again, two dreams. And, uh, and once again, Pharaoh wants to know what the, what the interpretation of these dreams are. And, because they're somewhat bizarre too. And they obviously mean something. And he wants to know. And, uh, and then, suddenly, the, the cupbearer remembers. Oh, yeah, I remember. Uh, there's a guy in, in prison who, uh, who heard our dreams, and he interpreted them correctly, and everything came out just exactly as, as he said it would. And so, uh, uh, so he suggested that Pharaoh call him. And so, of course, as we know, Pharaoh did. He called him, and, and uh, he's going to come before Pharaoh, though without taking a shower and getting shaved and cleaning himself up. You don't stand before Pharaoh that way. And so he comes before Pharaoh now, all taken care of, and, and Pharaoh tells him his two dreams. And, and, uh, and so Pharaoh uh, tells him that, uh, that he saw seven cows, and, and, uh, and, and they were fat and happy, and they were good-looking cows and and they're feeding and then out of this out of the river comes seven gaunt and ugly and pathetic looking cows and the gaunt and ugly ones ate up the good ones and then by the time they were done they looked the same and and he had another dream and and uh, about uh, ears of corn and and uh, um and there were seven ears that were fat and good looking and seven that were ugly and awful and and the ugly and awful ones ate up the good ones and at the end they were the same and so, uh, and so uh, Joseph hears these dreams and he interprets them, of course, through uh, giving, giving uh, credit to God. He says, God has shown to Pharaoh, uh, not, not I. Here, here's what's going to happen, Pharaoh. I've, I've, I've interpreted your dream. No, he says, uh, God is telling you something. And, and, it was, and, and, 
it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh that he is about to do what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great and plenty and there and, and throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine and that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of it is uh, Pharaoh's, in, in Pharaoh's dream means that the, the thing is fixed. It's going to happen. Uh, don't cry out for mercy because it's going to happen. There are going to be seven years of, of feast and great plenty, and there are going to be seven years of famine. And that's the way it's going to be. And, of course, uh, uh, as you know, uh, it was determined that the, the wise thing to do would be, of course, to store up uh, during those seven years of plenty and be prepared for the seven years of famine. And, of course, uh, who better to do that in Pharaoh's mind than, uh, than the one standing before him telling him about it? It's Joseph. And Pharaoh says, and, and, and Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Uh, don't misunderstand this. Pharaoh is not being converted here. Pharaoh isn't understanding that God is now the, the true and living God and, and uh, he's going to worship him, no, because Pharaoh thinks of himself as a god. And uh, what Pharaoh is saying, hey, you've obviously got some insight here. You, you've got some in to, to one of the gods, and uh, so we'll, we'll go with what you say, and, and we're going to use you. Pharaoh's not converted. And he's, he's, a, he's a pagan king. He's a wicked man. And, uh, and so, as you know, the... Pharaoh sets him up as the second in command. He's given fine clothes to wear. He's, he's, uh, uh, he's given charge over everything. Everything except for the throne he's given. In fact, Pharaoh even gives him his signet ring. So whenever he says something, he can seal it. And it's just as if Pharaoh said it himself. Um, so he's given this great power. And he's now the second in charge. He's, he suddenly comes from prison to be a man of great wealth and great power. And, uh, and, he's, and he's down in Egypt. And, and so often people look at this and they say, wow, has God ever blessed him? Has God ever rewarded him now with, with this amazing thing that has happened to him? Uh, isn't that wonderful? And, uh, um, and that's where some of the problem comes in. Do uh, you call this a blessing, really? Is this a blessing for Joseph? He's, uh, he's been taken from his home, from the land that he loved, from the, from the land that was promised to him by the God who he believes and serves and loves, and he's been taken to a pagan country where they, where they know not God, the true and living God, where they serve false gods, where, they do, where, they're, where they're false believers and they do pagan and, and corrupt things. He's been taken there, and he's been given. In fact, Pharaoh even gave him a wife. Well, isn't that great? Now he's got a wife, too, who's a, who's a pagan. And uh, so here's Pharaoh now uh, with great power, great wealth, in a pagan land with a pagan wife, uh, surrounded by pagans, and uh, who don't know God. And this is not a blessing for Joseph at all. He doesn't look at it that way. And if you think about it, you know, you put it in our own modern context, how would you feel, you know, you know if your son uh, were to go off and, and be the CEO of a great powerful corporation, of great power, 
maybe some great political leader and be surrounded by great wealth and and unbelievers and, and, and all the corruption and the things that go on in this world. Would you be, just be thrilled to death about that? You know, the sad thing is a lot of Christians would. And, and, and that's sad. That's really sad. When's the last time you heard a, a believer brag about uh, about their son being maybe the... the uh, um, I don't know, the custodian of the of the grade school, but he's a godly man, you know? <laughs> Give me the godly man. Uh, I, I don't care what their job is, because that's going to go away. It's meaningless what you are. It's meaningless. Uh, Give me the godly man over the over the one who's a great surgeon or a, or a great politician or, or a great political leader or something like that. Uh, no, it's not a blessing. It, it's it's in Joseph's mind. This is and, and, he, and he'll see that here. We'll, we'll see it in the in the naming really of his own children. He has two children, and uh, he names them Manasseh as the firstborn. And 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 why? Because for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and my father's house. Okay, uh, he's he considers Manasseh a blessing. Make no mistake. He he loves Manasseh and he considers him a blessing, and uh, but what he what what he is what Joseph is saying is is I'm able now to forget what has happened to me, all the awful things that that have happened to me that I'm going through now. I'm able to forget those things. And he has a second son. He named him. He called him Ephraim. For and he says, for God has made me has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. It's not the land of his blessing. It's not the land of his, his greatness and glory. It's the land of his affliction. That's what Joseph is looking at. That's what he is seeing here when, when he is there in, uh, in this place. Um, it, uh, to Joseph, uh, what he's, his desire, his longing, uh, is for the promised land the land that God promised him. That's what he longs for. That's the land that he misses. That's the land that he dreams of. That's the land that he longs for. And never when he was young, before he was taken captive, did he dream of being the, the second in command of the greatest nation on earth. No, he didn't want to be there. He wanted to be in the promised land with his family. That's where he wanted to be. So when, when Ephraim is named uh, he said, Ephraim is a blessing in the land of my affliction, in the land where I'm being afflicted right now. His desire, his longing, was for the promised land. And that's, of course, made clear later on when he's about to die. And what does he tell his family? Don't forget me. Take my bones and bury me in the promised land, in the land that I long for. That's what Joseph longed to see. And he knew he was, he was, it was determined by God to, to live out his life in this pagan land for a reason. He knew that. And, uh, but his hope and his longing was for the promised land. Uh, that he would cross that river, but he knew he wasn't going to be there until after his death. That's what he knew. And so that's what Joseph longed for. And, and so, as, as we know, that as the story goes on, uh, we see that uh, Joseph did exactly as he said he would do. They stored up for the for the uh, famine that was coming, and and uh, and they they had plenty. They had so much it couldn't even count it all now. 
And so they were well prepared for it. And then when the famine came, two years, two years into this famine, uh, now Jacob and his now, uh, now 11 sons, because Jacob had another, uh, now he has Benjamin. And uh, so now Jacob and his 11 sons are starving, and they need help. They need food. And of course, you know, they sent, uh, Jacob sent the older ones to go get food. And because he heard that it's available in the land of Egypt. And so, of course, they did, and they go there, and, and who do they confront? Of course, the, the one who has control over it all, uh, their brother Joseph. Joseph recognizes them right away. And, uh, and of course, the brothers do not. And, uh, and what happens when they, when they get to that uh, pagan land, the land of Egypt, uh, to search for the food? Well, the first thing they do is bow themselves down uh, before Joseph. Down to the ground they bowed before him, and they and they pleaded with him to sell them food to take care of them, and uh, and then so we we see that uh, Joseph, although he recognized them, he does an odd thing, and and um, and he he doesn't reveal himself to his brothers. He doesn't say, "I'm Joseph," you know, the one you you <laughs> abducted and sent to Egypt and in slavery. I'm here. I am. Now you bow down for it before me. How about that? Uh, he doesn't say that. Uh, he doesn't reveal himself, and he, and he instead he speaks to them harshly and says, "Hey, I think you're spying. I think you're here to spy out the land." And uh, of course they know we're not. We're we're good people. We, you know, we're of one father, and and uh, and he's already lost one son, and and we just come here to to get food, and 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 Joseph uh, to to really impress it upon them. Puts him in jail for three days, and then he then he pulls him out. And he said, "Okay, tell you what I'll do," because they told him that uh, the youngest Benjamin he didn't know about Benjamin, but they told him the youngest one Benjamin is at home, and uh, and so he says, "All right, I'll tell you what I'll do then. I'll let you go," and uh, and he let him go, and of course without them knowing, he returned their money also, and uh, and he sent them on their way home. But he said, "Don't come back unless you bring that unless you bring your youngest with you." And uh, so off they went, and uh, and they go to and they go back home, and uh, um, and so uh, they they live off what what they took with them until the point to where they're once again there in a bad way, and they need more food. They should have gone back earlier, but you know, um, unless they go back with with Benjamin, uh, they can't go back because because uh, Joseph made it real clear to them. That you're not coming back unless you bring Benjamin with you, and so uh, they go back. Jacob tells them once again, "Go, go buy food." And of course, no, we can't go because the man said, "Don't even think about coming before me unless you got Benjamin with you," and uh, he made that very clear. And so, so then we have um, uh, Reuben. Uh, well, you know, they're trying to convince uh, Jacob to allow Benjamin to go. Benja or Jacob will not allow it because. Once again, Benjamin is his favorite. <laughs> he's his beloved youngest son. He's not going to let him go. He's already lost Joseph. He's not going to give Benjamin up. No, you're not going to take him. They plead with Jacob. Um, and then Reuben, once again, steps in and, and he says, I'll tell you what I'll do. Uh, I'll promise my two sons to you. If, 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 if you let us go and, and if Benjamin doesn't come back, you can kill them. Well, isn't that a fine thing to say? Isn't that a great offer of you? How generous. You know, you don't bring back my son, I get to kill two of my grandkids. You know, thanks, Reuben. 
Uh, of course, it wasn't a, it wasn't a genuine offer. It wasn't it wasn't something that he meant. He's just he's just making a point here, and uh, it's a stupid point. Um, but that's the kind of a person that he is, and and that's the way they were. So he made this point. Um, but then we see something really interesting happen here, and and I should have made a note where it is. Make sure I got it. Um, yes, in uh, um, in uh, verse. Um, 32 of chapter 44, we see we see a very strange thing happen, very interesting things. Judah comes along, he says, For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father. Uh, no, I'm sorry, that's in, he's speaking to, uh, to Pharaoh there. Um, in the, Judah said to his father in verse 8 of chapter 43, And Judah said to Israel, uh, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, and that, that we may live and not die, both we and you and, and also our little ones, I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. forever. Well, now that's a different Judah. That's a way different Judah from, well, I don't care. You know, sell the boy. Let's get some money off him. I don't care about my wife. You know, gave me three kids, I'll grab another. You know, it. Uh, this is an entirely different Judah speaking here. And so, uh, and so they, uh, Jacob is convinced, and he sends, uh, he sends Benjamin with all of them. They all go then, and, and they go before uh, Joseph, and, and, uh, and then once again, as you know, uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going along here, I'll, I'll move along. But, uh, um, so anyways, um, uh, they go before uh, Joseph. Joseph gives them the food and uh, sends them back on the way, even with some extra. Uh, of course, he he slips a cup in Benjamin's sack, and uh, and and again, you wonder why he do that. What's going on with Joseph? Why is he testing them like this? And remember, Joseph experienced them. He 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 saw. He saw his brothers in action, and, and even even Reuben said, "Didn't you see how he pleaded for his own life when we sent him away, when we threw him in the pit? Did you, didn't you see that?" And uh, and so uh, Joseph is testing them, and uh, and he slips the cup into Benjamin's sack. They take off, and they didn't get very far. And of course, Joseph sends his people after him, and he says, "You know, he tells them what to do. They 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 go and they catch him and." And, uh, and somebody stole from us, and, and of course they deny it. Why would they do that? Especially if they, if they brought back the extra money that they got before. Why would they do that? And, uh, but they open all the sacks, and of course, sure enough, there in Benjamin's sack is that silver cup. And, uh, and it already said, whoever did this, he shall die. And uh, harsh words, harsh words. And, uh, and so they find it in Benjamin's sack, and, and so then they all go back to Egypt. And, uh, and, and the, the brothers say, look, I guess we're all your slaves now. And Joseph says, no, you're not. I just hold the one guilty as slave. And uh, I'm going to hold Benjamin. The rest of you can go. And uh, so the rest of them, except for one, was all ready to go. Um, but who, who stood up and said something? It was Judah. And he said in now in chapter 44, uh, verse 32 says, For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If you do not bring him back, if, if we do not, if I do not bring him back to you, 
then I shall bear the blame for my father all all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. Isn't it amazing? The same Judah who who so uncaring before, so cruel before, uh, let's sell the boy, let's get some money for him, better than killing him, you know, and getting nothing, uh, now pleads his own life, is willing to sacrifice his own life for his father's joy to save his son. Isn't that amazing? What a different Judah we, we see now portrayed there. And of course, as you know, in, in the rest of the story, that's when Benjamin, when the, uh, Joseph could no longer contain himself. He couldn't hold himself back anymore. He saw the repentance in his brother. He saw how God had done a, a, an amazing work in him, and he could not contain himself any longer, and he revealed himself to his brothers and said, I am Joseph, and uh, I'm the one that you sold into Egypt as a slave. And, and then to, to go on and make it clear, uh, he says, and, and do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here to get, for God sent me before you to preserve life for the famine has been uh, for the the famine has been in the land these two years and there are yet five years in which you will neither uh, be plowing a harvest and God sent me before you to preserve you uh, for you a remnant <laughs> think about this for God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and, uh, and, was, uh, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and, uh, and Lord of all this house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. He has done this. God has done this. So what's going on with this story? What is this all about? And uh, we see in it the redemption, really, of Judah, a changed man. We see the, the, the redemption of the, of the people of Israel, uh, preserved, and now will be in the land of Egypt until they become a mighty nation. What is God doing? Well, we go back then to, to Genesis 1, uh, where, uh, where God made man and woman. He made them differently, and he breathed life of, of a soul in them. He made them after him, and then we see that, that man sinned, and, and, uh, and I described this sin, and, and, and then we see that God makes a covenant. Um, in Genesis uh, 3.15, a promised seed, he says. God makes a covenant. He says, for the seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent, will crush the, the serpent. And, uh, and so what do we see after that? Well, we see a, a spiritual war has then been declared. And, and Satan's seed, Cain, kills Abel. And uh, the seed of the woman. And then God preserved the seed through his covenant with Noah. And Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their wives. And, and, uh, and God calls out through them. And later on comes Abraham. And, and God calls Abraham to leave his father and establish a covenant with them. Through, through him, all the world will be blessed. Through his seed, it says. And, uh, and then God promises a seed through Abraham, but Sarah is too old. And so they take matters in their own hands, and, and they say, we know what to do. We can, we can control things. So, he gives, so they try Hagar, and well, that's not the seed God wanted. 
God had a, the seed, another seed in mind. And so Sarah does produce a seed. And, and, uh, and God provided his seed. And miraculously, Sarah, uh, through Sarah, Isaac is born. And, and uh, God requires a sacrifice. And Abraham's only son, Isaac, is presented. Uh, but God provides his own sacrifice in his stead. And, uh, and then God establishes his covenant again with Isaac. And Isaac and his two sons, uh, born as twins, but God's choice is Jacob, the heel grabber over Esau, the firstborn. And, uh, and then uh, Isaac again tries to put the blessing on Esau, but instead Jacob uh, um, gets, the, gets the blessing, but God prevents it, and Jacob gets it, because uh, he's God's choice and receives the blessing. Jacob uh, picks out a woman, Rachel, for himself from his kindred, and Laban uh, from uh, from his kindred Laban, but God picks Leah instead, and, and the rejected one instead, and, and from her will come six sons, and including Judah, and uh, from Rachel will come two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Interesting, and Joseph will save his people and the seed, and through Benjamin will come Queen Esther, who God will use to save his people once again uh, from destruction, and in, and another the the Apostle Paul who will save God's people from destruction by leading them to the long-awaited seed will come from, from Benjamin. And, uh, and then Joseph will save the people of Israel from starvation. Through, his, through this, Judah will be redeemed. Uh, God's seed will be preserved through their sojourning through Egypt. And from Judah will come David, the least of the sons of Jesse, the youngest one. The, didn't you have anybody else? And, uh, and, and shepherd, and he'll become a shepherd, just like his, like his ancestors. And, and David will fight a battle in his youth. And, uh, and that battle will be against, against Satan's seed, God's seed against Satan's seed. And, and David will prevail over them, and Satan's seed will then will, will serve God's seed forevermore. And then from David, 28 generations later, the seed of the woman will finally come. The promised seed, the one promised way back in, uh, in Genesis 3, has finally come, who will redeem his people and save his people. What a remarkable story is going on. What an incredible thing that God has done uh, for his people. This is way more than a story of, of inspiration or a story of what, what you can do if you just obey God. God will bless you. No, this is a story of how God is working. And how God has redeemed his people, saved his people forevermore from their sins, and, and provided that for us. What an amazing thing God has done for us. What an amazing story this is. Let's pray. Father, I uh, thank you for this. Uh, this incredible thing that you have done. This work that you not only have done in the past, Father, but but the work that you continue to do uh, in, in mighty ways that we don't understand. Father, you do mighty works. We don't see fire coming down from heaven anymore, yet, Father, you have done a greater work. You've set your spirit far greater than fire. Father, we, we don't see maybe some of these, these miraculous things happen, yet we see the, the incredible salvation that you provided for your people. And how you preserved us in, in the land of our soul journey, in the land of our affliction, Father. And we, like, like Joseph, wait for that one day when, uh, when we'll cross that river like he did and be in the promised land with him. 
Father, with you. That's what we thank you and praise you for. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.